You know, being in the sports and entertainment industry, and especially Oakview Group and Tim Laiwiki believes deeply in diversity, equity, and inclusion. Mm. I am a byproduct of that, right? Like I am a woman running one of the top venues in the country. So, you know, it's great, but I know that also comes with an obligation to help others. Yeah. It's not, it's not an obligation. It's a, it's somebody helped me. I need to help somebody. Welcome to One Next Step, the most practical business podcast in the world. You're now one simple tip, practical tool, and small step away from growing your business. One Next Step is brought to you by Belay, the incredible 100% remote organization revolutionizing productivity with virtual assistants, bookkeepers, and social media managers. Accomplish more, juggle less. Modern staffing from Belay. And now to your hosts. Welcome to One Next Step the practical business podcast that helps you run your business so it stops running you. I'm Ryan, and today's conversation is incredible and one that I'm very jealous I didn't get to be a part of. Belay CFO Lisa Zeveld is talking to Kim Stone. She's the president of UBS Arena and Oakview Group East Coast Executive Vice President. During her illustrious career in professional sports, Kim Stone has served in executive leadership roles for two of the world's top NBA brands, the Miami Heat and the Golden State Warriors. Kim spent nearly 25 years working within the Heat organization, serving most recently as the VP of Human Capital and Special Projects, as well as Golden State Warriors Chase Center General Manager. She's a great example of someone who has learned to excel and transition well across a variety of different roles and fields. She's going to share some of the biggest lessons she's learned about embracing new challenges, building sustainable success, developing other leaders, and much more. No matter where you are in your career journey, I think there's so much value and inspiration in Kim's story. So let's jump into it. Welcome to the podcast, Kim. I'm so excited to get to talk to you today. Thank you, Lisa. It's This is day four for me at my new job, and so it's an exciting day for me as well. And I, I don't think that we could have scripted this better <laughs> for the topic we're going to talk about today. I so uh, thank you. I'm very excited to participate. Well, and thank you. Day four of a new job, and you're willing to talk to me. Wow. I am definitely <laughs> um, humbled by the opportunity. I'd love to start off with a question to help our listeners get to know you better. And I'd love to know, when did you first fall in love with sports? Gosh, great question. Um, It really goes back to my childhood. From the earliest that I can remember, even in the neighborhood I grew up in, we were always playing sports. Mm. Um, And it was, there was a, it was a little neighborhood in North Carolina and we would, I'd play with football with the boys. I mean, we were doing, and it was tackle football. (laughs) It was like a long time ago, we just were having fun. Yeah. And that's what, you know, when I was growing up uh, in a small town in North Carolina, that's just what we did. And we played. And then that became uh, just a, a love of playing in high school. And I had a phenomenal high school coach mm. who uh, we were state volleyball champions and, and did very wow. well. We're incredibly competitive in basketball, too. And, and she was a phenomenal coach. And so those team sports taught mm. me life skills that I still use today because I was never the best athlete, but I learned that that there everybody has a key position to play on a team. And in basketball in particular, mm-hmm. I would be like the defensive specialist, right? Ooh. I'm never gonna make ESPN. <laughs> but you know, there's a there's a need. So 
a little little yeah. long way of saying that uh, love of sports happened at an early age and then just continued through high school where I had a great coach. And then I loved journalism. So I was the sports editor of our high school newspaper. And then that led me to ending up at North Carolina to get my degree in PR and journalism, which led to this amazing niche industry that I learned about uh, that was a college sports information director. So you're basically a PR director. And I got to do that for the uh, when I was in school at North Carolina. And then that led to my first job at Miami as an assistant sports information director, which led to an opportunity to work with the Miami Heat and and then on it goes, right? So that's a very long-winded answer to your question, but I think that's my journey with sports and my love of sports uh, evolved over time. And the fact that I got to marry it with a career is just, I'm just, I'm just probably one of the most lucky people in the world. Yeah, well, you teed me up just perfectly because I was going to ask about your career. So you're telling me that you went straight out of college to the heat. Is that right? It, I had a no straight out of college to the University of Miami as an assistant oh, sports information okay, director. Gotcha. Okay, yeah. So it was it, you, the Hurricanes football team yeah. um, at the time yeah. was dominating college uh, football, and so it was an amazing job to get at just you know wow. s- starting your career out because you're dealing with the top media in men's college, you know, uh, um, college football. And so that was a wonderful opportunity uh, to get to know some of the, you know, most important media figures at the time. And and funny enough, a little funny side story is Dwayne Johnson at the time was a a rookie on the University of uh, Miami Hurricane football team. And so now, you know, Dwayne Johnson, big movie star, you know, wrestling right, fame. Right. So that that tells you how long ago I did that. But so I started out at UM in that position. And then as part of that, uh, I would side, like had a part-time job on this statistics crew for the Miami Heat. So oh. I was doing my full-time job with UM, doing part-time statistics crew for the Heat. And then what happened is there was a opportunity that opened in the PR department for the heat. And then that's where I, I, how I first started in the heat and grew through that organization for 23 years, then went to, took a new job with the Warriors to open their new building uh, for two years. COVID hit. It was really hard on my family and my Mm -hmm. son in particular. So we pivoted back to Miami was, you know, near friends and family. And then it was going to take an amazing opportunity to get me out of Miami. And and that is what this job is uh, here at UBS arena in uh, near Belmont Park in New York. So it's Long Island. And uh, the good news is my brother lives nearby. So we do have family nearby. So I still have family. And it's an opportunity to be president of um, an amazing state of the art venue that is sort of changing the sports and entertainment landscape here in uh, in a very competitive New York market. But it's a lot of fun. So that that's a sort of quick recap of my my job and my career. So moving from particularly a sports team into an arena, right? So now is how how different will your role look in that manner? So it's a good question. Of the various jobs I've had throughout my career, I spent the vast majority of it as a general manager. And in particular in Miami, I, I spent, uh, it was 13 years as general manager for what is now FTX Arena. But at the same time, that I had that job, I also had responsibilities for the service and retention of the Miami Heat season ticket holder base, which is actually a job I did for 15 years. And so in 13 of those 15 years, it was simultaneous to be in general manager for the building. So I tell you that because it just sort of sets the, the stage that for me, running an arena, I've always been part of team sports too. And so what what in both Miami and in Golden State, 
those venues were operated by the team. And so the team was the primary tenant. What's unique here at UBS Arena is uh, the New York Islanders of the of, NA, of the NHL are the are one of the tenants, and then we built this venue to be one of the best experiences for artists uh, coming to the venue and mm-hmm. uh, sound quality and the overall concert experience for guests. So sometimes when you build an arena and it's hyper focused on sports, there are some um, qualities that you have to you aren't able that that make for a better concert experience. So you have to sort of you know, sure. sort of balance that here. They did balance it. And so in my role here, so I tell you that because usually I've the prior two venues I worked in the team set the strategy and the vision for the arena here. It's, it's the team and music. So we really focus on wow. the music experience and, and how to, how we work with shows and tours. So it's very exciting. So it's a little different. So that's the long yeah. way of answering your question. So it's a little bit different. Yeah. Because I don't have direct team responsibilities. I'm not overseeing the mm-hmm. service and retention of the Islanders season ticket holder base like I did in Miami, right? That's So now I'm focused sure, on yeah. making sure that we run a state-of-the-art arena that's going to be one of the top in the world. And we give you a world-class uh, experience, whether you're coming as a guest, whether you're an employee, or whether yeah. you're an artist. That's incredible. What an awesome opportunity you have. And I love how you've been able to to bridge all your experience together. Um, But there's been a lot of transitions in there as we talked about your career. Um, And I'm sure that it wasn't all easy. I mean, you mentioned, you know, going from Golden State, you were ready to get back to Miami and you wanted to be around friends and family. I'd love it if maybe you could give some advice to our listeners on what it is like for you, or maybe some of the best ways that you've learned to handle a transition throughout your career? You know, change is hard, right? Even when it's welcomed and exciting mm-hmm. change, it is it is different. And I, I think it's sort of, uh, for me, it, it falls into a couple of buckets. One is, you know, managing the, you know, your career change. And that's, you know, your the, the people you'll be working with, your work environment, your, you know, commute or not commute, like these sorts of what, what your work mm-hmm. life is. And then, and then there's managing the personal aspect of it. You know, my family, to say the least, my family has been incredibly supportive, especially this, yeah. this move after only being in Miami for one year, um, where like we moved back to Miami and, and, and even when we moved to San Francisco, the thought was we would raise our son uh, on the West Coast then COVID hit and the world changed, right? And things, so you have to be right. flexible. And then in Miami, the thought was we go back to Miami and like, now this is where we're going to raise our son. Um, and now I'm pivoting to New York and they have just been incredibly supportive, right? So I recognize that's not for everybody, but I have an incredibly supportive family. So mm-hmm. managing and making sure that your family is the top. And I got a great piece of advice Many years ago, I was working with Ron Rothstein, who was actually the first ever head coach of the Miami Heat. I worked with him mm-hmm. when he was um, head coach of the women's professional basketball team, a WNBA team we had in Miami. And Ron had an amazing relationship, not only with his um, you know, wife and his kids, but his extended family. And this, and he was a lifetime NBA coach that he was traveling. He was always gone. Yeah. He was working nights and weekends and holidays. And I said to him once, I said, how is it that you've created such a great family bond? And he said, well, the reality, Kim, is that in this profession, you 
everybody likes to say that your family's number one and work's number two. He said, but the reality is your work is number one and your family comes second because of the demands of the job. He said, but here's the difference. Sure. Yeah. He said, when your family needs you, they're number one and you have to do that. And true to form, mm. he, we were uh, an expansion team in the WNBA. One of the most important things for an expansion team is to, is your draft, your expansion draft. And so we were planning for the expansion mm. draft. Who, what top players from other teams did we want to try and uh, get sure. to, be, to be part of launching our WNBA team? Very, very important, very important decisions to be made. Yeah. So we're, we're having this discussion. We're on a little bit of a time frame, and his phone rings and he picks up the phone and it's his wife. And his wife is notoriously bad with directions. And so for the next 10 minutes, he literally gave her directions from where she was to where she needed to be. I mean, literally, he'd be on the phone and he would say, Okay, you know, live now go two blocks, and when you get near the tree, turn right. And we would literally wait while she drove the two blocks, and then and so he did that for ten minutes. And so, like, like I saw what he said in action, and it was to that level, right? So managing the transition for my family, especially at this time, because my family won't move up here for nine months because the timing of my hiring didn't work with the um, school admissions cycles that happen, right? And that's important. So they're going to stay in Miami. We're going to be flying back and forth. We have plans about that. So I will always be sure to answer whether, even if my son FaceTimes me or calls me, you know, if I'm in a big meeting, Mm -hmm. they can wait 10 minutes. It, you know, they can wait because at that time, it might just be directions that they need. It might just be something else that might, you know, in, in terms of my work might be viewed as like, maybe it's not as important, but you know what? They need me and they often are willing to mm-hmm. let me take a lead in my career. So when they need me, even if it's for directions, I, I learned and saw firsthand what that means. And so, you know, that that's sort of the two buckets. And then there's, you know, managing yourself and your time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're some of you, you um, Part of what you all do and talk about is sort of that self-care. And I think the pandemic, one of the good lasting things is, you know, self-care, well-being and mental health have come to the forefront. Mm -hmm. And so I think even today, it's day four for me. You know, anytime you're coming into a new job, especially a new job like this, you are you're just drinking through a fire hose. And so this morning I actually slept in later than I was supposed to. And I got some, you know, got instead of getting coffee this morning, I got a green smoothie and, you know, just trying to, and I'm (laughs) going to leave a little bit early today because it was, it's been an exhausting Mm -hmm. four days and, and I need to recharge and refresh. And so to me, COVID has given us all the opportunity to say that and to say, hey, I just need a little bit of, like I need to take, these last two hours off and nobody's judging you negatively, yeah. you know, as much as they, I think sure. it would have been a penalty before because I, I can go pretty hard. Yeah. Well, I think that you have to. I mean, you've had such phenomenal success in your career. You're driven, you're passionate. I mean, again, you came out of college and and really jumped into the ideal job. Um, I'm sure that most people listening are going, oh my gosh, that would be a dream job for me. And you did that. And so I think it's important that you've put in parameters in place to take care of yourself and to take care of your family. But are there seasons when having all that drive and that passion, wanting to to rise throughout your career that you've had to pause and kind of had to be happy with where you're at and maybe put some things on the back burner? I mean, how do you do that? 
you know, taking care of yourself and, and saying right now is not the ideal time to pursue that next challenge or opportunity. I think it's a very personal criteria and, and way you come about that. And, and mm. you just described my entire last year <laughs> um, <working>, going back <laughs> to the Miami Heat. I took a very different job. It was um, executive vice president of human capital and special projects, were, which were two distinctly different areas. So human capital was human resources, DE&I initiatives, culture and inclusion, as well as uh, learning and development mm. for our for our company and centralizing that on a, under an executive. And then the special projects was building, doing a, a master plan to renovate FTX Arena. So two very different, um, but it's very, wow. it's a very, they would, the people at the Heat would tell you it's a very Kim job because one was a well-established HR team and I was just pulling them together and, and just helping them, helping lead them. The special projects was a complete um, brand new group that I had to pull together the talent. I had mm. to put the, I had to plan it from the bottom up. And so when I left, I did a lot of transition and I think they're in a very good place. But I, but I tell you that because I, you know, the, the challenge is just always making sure that, for me in that moment last year was very different because I was, you know, in Golden State, a very high profile job, a very high profile, hard charging organization that does amazing. They are an amazing organization. Yeah. I always say I'm a better executive because I was I went and worked for the Golden State and I'm a, I'm a better Europe because I learned so much. Right. It, I grew up a lot. I got sure. a lot. I got challenged quite a bit. Um, COVID was incredibly challenging. Opening a $1.6 billion arena is really, really challenging. And I was just tired because usually you open a building and then you get, a, it's, it's somebody described it as you're sprinting toward a marathon. And that's really what it is. Right. So I just needed a break. So last year, it was a little bit, it was a break simply because I wasn't working events anymore. So I wasn't working nights and weekends. Mm-hmm. So my schedule became my own. Right. And so it meant more time for my family. It meant I could, you know, be there for my son. So as I'm transitioning back into overseeing a venue again, um, I don't have the, the same responsibilities because I'm not responsible for the event production, but I'm ultimately responsible for the whole organization. So my family and I have talked a lot about what does that look like. But in stepping back last year from the hard charging aspect of what my career has been, it was interesting. I struggled. Um, I would, I felt a sense of like being out of place sure. because the the things that the traits and characteristics that I had always relied on in the hard charging, you know, forward, you know, got to get past COVID, got to pull everybody together, got to you know take it on your shoulders and move forward was not what was needed yeah. um, in my new job. And so it was right. a really hard. It was a it was a pivot. It was an abrupt pivot. And so I just learned over time to give myself a break. And to really understand and just to like not judge myself too critically, you know, there there was a little bit of imposter syndrome that, you know, even at my level and what I've done, you know, imposter syndrome still still can creep in there. So I just had to recognize it, address it. I'm big on mental health. I've always been even even when I started in my career, I've, I always say you've got doctors for every other part of your body. Why don't you have a doctor for your mind? Totally. Right? Yeah. Because your minds are so powerful. Your thoughts are so powerful. So anyway, that was my experience stepping back last year. And I would have been just fine doing all of that. Mm-hmm. But this opportunity, um, Oakview Group is well respected in the industry. They're doing some amazing things. And I've always had a bucket list of things I wanted to do in my career. And the last one was to um, own my own successful company. 
And so fortunately, with the way my situation is structured with Oakview Group, there I have, quote unquote, skin in the game as it relates to uh, the nice. company as well. And that's just exciting, right? Those are those are very rare things that you get to do. And I was like, you know, let's go make this. Let's go try this. We'll, we'll try. We'll see what happens. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. You know, do you think that you would have been ready for this responsibility in this next phase had you not kind of had that opportunity to pause? Right. Because I think that sometimes it is uh, that hit to the ego to kind of step back. Um, but really, you, now you have the energy and the excitement because perhaps you had that moment of rest I, in your career. You, you're spot on. I mean, that is really true. Yeah. It really is true, because when you're forced to make an abrupt, quick pivot, um, we're not forced, mm-hmm. but when you choose. Right. So um, in that you're right. And then you get that. I got a lot of time to reflect. I got a lot of time to consider. Yeah. And I, I was happy. I was not seeking jobs. I was getting phone calls. I was, you know, saying thank you, but no thank you. Yeah. You know, I was not, this was not in my life plan at all, at all. And, but, you, you know, you just be open to opportunities and when they come your way. But to your point, that pause helped me get clarity around who I am, what's important to me, the things uh, that I want to do and achieve. And uh, this was just part of that. And and as I look ahead to where I want to be in five years and where I want to be in 10 years, you know, this is a critical part to that. I will also say, I don't think I would be ready for the this president's role if I hadn't had the opportunities and the experiences in my life. Um, you know, from, from the Heat is an exceptional, mm-hmm. one of the top five organizations in the NBA. The Warriors are the top yeah. revenue-producing uh, team in the NBA. Just the way they think. They're very innovative, creative. They're always pushing the envelope. I loved it. Their owner is a venture capitalist, and that comes through, comes shining through. Sure. And then, you know, now this opportunity, Tim Laiwicki, uh, who owns Oakview Group, is is uh, in that same uh, vein of, like, startup entrepreneurial well-respected. So, you know, leadership matters. Um, and so I've been with underneath some great leaders throughout all of that. And I always say, if I'm half the leader that they were, they are those leaders that I've worked for, then I think I'll be okay. And so I'm, I, it's, it's my life experience combined. That is why I think I'm ready for this. It's not why I think it's why I am ready for this opportunity. Yeah, that's great. You, you just mentioned something about, you know, being empowered and working with other great leaders. But in your career journey, I'm sure that you've had to prepare other leaders to take on responsibilities as you've moved on. Mm-hmm. So what have you learned? Is there something that kind of sticks out to you that you could share about how to raise up great leaders or some traits that you've picked up from yeah. other leaders who've led you? Yeah, that's well said, because I I, you know, this is where I give a lot of credit to Eric Woolworth because that's a great question. So Eric Woolworth is the current president of business operations for the Miami Heat. And so okay. um, I'll I never forget in 2006, he calls me into his office and it was Thursday at like five o'clock. And the only time you go see the president Thursday at five o'clock is because maybe you no longer have a job. You know? <laughs> so, so I went and thinking, so oh my true, God, so true. I, I asked him, what can I bring to your office? And he said, oh, nothing. Just come. And I was like, oh, no. Oh no. Okay. What did I do? So so that sort of self doubt that creeped in. What did I do? So I sit in his office and he sits down and he says, we've lost our second GM in a row, second GM in four years. I don't want the churn on the GM side. 
you know, would you consider being general manager for American Airlines Arena? Because it, so it was only four years old at the time. No, sorry, six years old at the time. And I was like, wow. what? Me? Like, I don't, I, I'm not a typical GM. I didn't grow up in the, in the facilities industry. I, I'm right. coming to it through team sports. I don't know what it means to run a building. I had like, I, I was trying to talk him out of hiring me, right? Oh my <laughs> he God. goes, yeah, yeah. wait. He said, I'm not asking you, I'm not hiring you to change the light bulbs. I'm hiring you to lead a team. He said, and you know how to lead. And so, yeah. so I, I give you that story because that really, for me, was powerful because it made me think. And then we went on and did some amazing things together um, at American Airlines Arena, one, you know, the top in Florida. It was the top venue in Florida, mm-hmm. always top 10 in the U.S. And, and typically top 15 in the world in terms yeah. of, you know, tickets sold and stuff. So we did some amazing things. And so I know deeply and am the product of somebody being willing to take a chance on a good leader, right? It doesn't have to always yeah. be a subject matter expert, somebody who has always done it. It can be a leader. So I give you that story because when I look, and I just had a recent, uh, in my departure from the heat this time, when I started the special projects, I identified talent more mm. than I identified people who knew construction um, because I'm like, yeah. I got the construction piece. There's, I know how to do that. We, we, and we can get consultants to help with that. But I need leaders. I need people who can help bring change to our organization. So I identified a guy and mm-hmm. um, was able to start working with him. And now he is running the, that depart, that division and he's in line to become a vice president. And so what I did is I just refined processes, procedures, leadership, how to hold people accountable. What are the main focuses and priorities? So I'm so proud of him because I remember when, when I asked him to join my um, special projects team, he was like, oh, what? Same, same sort of reaction that sure. I had with our, I said, but I see in you the things that I need to put together this team. So it's about mm-hmm. talent, it's about identifying talent versus somebody that is a, a, a technical expert, right? A technical, mm-hmm. some jobs you need a technical expert, but when you need leadership and um, development and desire and passion, you know, those are things that really uh, help you identify. So, I, so I'll identify that in people, and then I care about people. I really am invested in others' success. It is not about me. It has never yeah. been about me. It's about we. Because if I, I have eight senior vice presidents who report into me, I need to make them successful, right? I need to. I, yeah. I always tell them, I'll block and tackle. You score the touchdowns. Because I don't sure. care. I don't care if I get the the um, accolades. What I care is that this one hits the premium seat revenue goal, that this mm-hmm. one hits their corporate goal, that this one runs events world class. Like, tell me what is getting in your way of being able to yeah. do that. And if it's, you know, whatever it is, let me know. And then I'll also um, hold them accountable. So, so that's sort of my approach. It's worked for me. It can be exhausting because you – my area of opportunity is to be more of a situational leader. Yeah. And that's, that's part of my ongoing growth and I, and in development as a, as a leader myself and the world continues yeah. to change. And so for anybody listening to your podcast, you know, one of the things that is a val- core value for me is like lifelong learning. Like you, mm-hmm. you can't think, you know, it all because the world is changing around you. So as soon as you stop learning, the rest of the world is starting to pass you by and then you're going to turn around one day and go, uh, what happened? What, you know, yes. because you're not upskilling, you're not staying relevant, 
You're, mm-hmm. you know, the way people want to be led now, there's more generations in the workforce now than there were previously. And so I have to be able to motivate, you know, all those various generations. And so instead of them fitting my style, right, I tried to understand them more. Yeah, no, I love that. And you really um, had a, a huge responsibility as far as diversity and inclusion, you know, as you came back to the heat. And so I'd love to hear just a little bit about maybe some of the things that you spearheaded or even, you know, what you noticed and, and how it helps an organization to really have initiatives around diversity and inclusion. I have to give the Golden State Warriors um, immense credit in this area. Like just by the byproduct of being in San Francisco, there is just a a cultural approach to uh, equity that happens in San Francisco. It's just part of the culture. And in in what that means is there's a there's a deep dedication, appreciation and understanding of it. And so they worked intentionally every day. And then to to go through covid to go through all the social justice movements that happened during that time yeah. frame, we would um, take opportunities at the beginning of, of large, we had one large weekly meeting where we brought everybody together to talk about business. And mm-hmm. we would take time at the beginning of that just to let people express how they're feeling about a situation that had just happened in, in the world. I mean, there's so it just felt yeah. like things were happening left and right. So it was amazing to be with the Warriors during that time frame because they navigated it so expertly. And that's from yeah. Rick Welts. Rick Welts was my boss there from his leadership style to the um, HR executive, Erin uh, Dangerfield. She was just phenomenal in understanding the moment and what was needed. And so I learned so much about myself, about sure. the situation. So then coming back to Miami and overseeing DE&I, you know, there couldn't be two states that are more opposite in the nation than Florida's governor and the governor of California. They, they couldn't be more different in terms of just their approach to society. And Florida overall is incredibly conservative. California overall is incredibly liberal, right? So that yeah. is just what it is. So the yeah. politics of the area have an impact on the, 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 the culture of the area. So you come back to Florida where Governor DeSantis was putting in uh, legislation to prevent companies from allowing conversations to restrict, you know, the don't say gay bill. Like, you know, we know about that. There's a there's a stop woke act that just went into place July 1st that bans companies from conducting trainings that you're going to have to research this more. But but in effect, yeah. what it did is you you have to be careful about any diversity training you do because the unintended impact of making somebody feel bad about themselves was mm. essentially what that was. So it couldn't have been wow. more different. It couldn't have been right, more different. And right, there were, yeah. you know, there was that this is legislation, which means it's law. So you have to. So what? So the beautiful thing there is the Miami Heat going again back to Eric Woolworth, Nick Arison from the ownership. They believe deeply in diversity, equity and inclusion. So we just found ways to thread the needle. So we couldn't. Yeah. We were you know, like playing basketball with one arm tied behind our back um, because of the governor's uh, politics, but sure. we found ways to do it. So so I, I give you those two extremes because in San Francisco, you are very free to have mm. conversations and it's just part of the culture. And then in, in Florida, because of the politics, again, you're very restricted and you have to be very careful. And 
the diversity of a, of opinions. Not everybody's on the same page about you know how how yeah. you should be doing things. So it was just it was a it was a delicate balance, right? And now I'm in New York. Yeah. You know, and New York is, is somewhere totally probably yeah. a little little more little less like Florida and a lot more like California. And so just yeah. you know learning that. And then my industry, you know, being in the sports and entertainment industry and especially Oakview Group and Tim Laiwiki believes deeply in diversity, equity, and inclusion. Mm. I am a byproduct of that, right? Like I am yeah. I am a, a woman running one of the top venues in the country and eventually will be one of the top in the world once we get a few, you know, we need a few yeah. more months under our, ourselves. <laughs> so, so, you know, it, it's, um, it's great, but I know that also comes with an obligation to help others. Yeah. It's, not, it's not an obligation. It's, a, it's somebody helped me, I need to help somebody. Yeah. Well, this conversation has been so valuable, Kim. Thank you so much for your time. I love it. I know that our listeners are probably as enthralled as I am in your story and the impact that you have made um, across this this phenomenal country. So thank you so much. But I do want to ask, I've got one more question for you. So would you mind staying around for maybe some bonus content? I've had so much fun. Thank you. And I would be my pleasure. <laughs> awesome. Great. Ends. <laughs> I love it. All right, guys, well, definitely stick around. You're not going to want to miss this. But in order to hear the clip, you must subscribe to our email list. And we're going to send you a link to all of that amazing bonus content. Or you can always visit onenextsteppodcast.com where you can find the link in our show notes. Wow, that conversation was absolutely incredible between LZ and Kim. I just I hope you took so much away from that like I did. I really hope you leave this episode feeling inspired and motivated to take on your next big career milestone. Thank you so much for tuning in for this week's One Next Step. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify. If you're ready to start accomplishing more and juggling less, go to belaysolutions.com. For more episodes, show notes, and helpful resources, visit onenextsteppodcast.com. 